0: Greetings, everyone. This is V, a.k.a. Vernon English, and welcome to the podcast for the book series Hearing Colors to Kill Sounds. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Get comfortable. Pull up your chair. Grab some Earl Grey tea. (laughs) And you can put on your obscure thinking cap on because it is specifically for that that I designed this book and I'm thankful 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 I may not show it enough but I want to thank the listeners and the subscribers and anyone else who listens to this podcast because they did not have to do so and they could do easily anything else in their day but they chose to listen to my random and completely obscure story and I'm thankful for that It helps with my creativity and my imagination and so basically where I'm at now is writing the fourth book and I'm doing so each day bit by bit piece by piece and piecing together what it is that I want to convey and the messages that I want to convey and I've done so before and had pretty much the same amount of tools that I have now if not less And I was out on the beach working and having these conversations with people. And so for this series, we are delving into the third book, Later. So that's coming up soon. But right now, we're still in the second book. There's so much material. There's so much things that I have to explain As to how this culminates and I tell people I will explain things one time just because I want them to have their own frame of reference when they read it and if they are confused then that also adds to their own frame of reference but I generally want to have you guys as the listeners which is different to understand why I chose these things and the characters and how complex and how amazed that I am and excited to explain these things to you. So basically the reason why I'm so excited about explaining the audiobook series and I find myself getting overwhelmed but not so much but just in part of understanding where it is that All of this comes to fruition, basically the story, and how these stories come about. And if it is not pop culture, if it's not something that's happening in the media, there's generally something that always comes up as a message. For instance, I will see something in a YouTube video or something that someone has on a conversation on the street, And they're generally really interested into what it is that they're explaining. And by some chance, I I change the subject of the argument or I change the characters altogether and then flip it so that I can understand if it is in a different light or if this conversation was on a different planet, how would it even come about or what would it even be about? And it's a very weird and obscure thing to even think about this. And I would have to tell you in detail or less confusing way. But that's generally how a story comes about when I I think about something. Or for instance, if I remember something uh, from back in like, I don't know, when I was younger. Probably in my early, what, nine years old and ten when I used to watch certain things that would fly over my head. uh, What do you call these things? Live action series and their jokes and puns and and understandably how the characters transitioned over time into more of their character flaws or more of their in-depth analysis of themselves so the reason why i'm telling you this story is because how the floating isles came about is an interesting tale and i've told part of this story before but not in super 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 implicit detail but the floating aisles there's many things that i had as an idea when i first created this story and the general sense of the story always came about when I was thinking of different settings. So one setting would obviously be the land and how diverse and how uh, completely alien to our own ecosystems it would be. But then two, there would be something else. And obviously underneath the sea and underneath the ocean, there's a topography and a differentiation of how one even thinks about something like that and and i I always think of when someone talks about uh, a scene or something that they've seen before we always think of an analogy that we have previously thought of and so it would be like a snow globe underneath the ocean and then obviously transistors and other things that connect that we don't even know um, the complexities to would be the general sense of an underwater city or a dome Now, that's not generally what I always see when I create the scenes from Celestial. Celestial is the planet in which uh, the story takes place. But I teeter back and forth between certain things and the mysteriousness and not explaining everything. And so, there are other scenes in Celestial that I wanted to play with. And one was being uh, the desert. And the desert is... A moving environment and it it's something that is the same vein as snow and so it is desolate or it is devoid of the natural wonders or things that people are used to seeing for instance in a forest or a meadow or a mountainside and the thing that I wanted to talk about as far as in the desert or in the snow is that there are still natural wonders there it just is a character basis and I would never say a flaw to describe such things and even when I look at other series or other writers and how they verse a descriptive analysis or a scene an exposition of what they see in a desert or they see in snow is a myriad of different things. Some people colorfully paint the picture and describe everything in a very fluffy fashion while others leave it as a character tool or a story tool to purvey the overlaying theme or the feel of a place, the heat or the the lack of uh, nutrients Uh, is felt by the characters and their nuances or the way that they talk to one another. Now obviously you can go to a master class and hear other artists and other writers uh, depict in a very colorful and a very eloquent fashion and very professional since I'm only self-published and these guys have gone through publishing houses and have over 100,000 other listeners and readers. However, I weirdly, <laughs> I, I, I had to I'll pause for a second and say this, because it is really it is truth, to think of myself in the same vein as that, but not in an ego base. Um, it's quite looking at someone as a peer, and thinking of them having the same tools that I have And not the same imagination and same thinking, but what would I bring to them that makes sense and has them asking me questions and has them excited the same way I am about my story. So, if that all makes sense and makes sense is under the hat that you have on and put your thinking cap on, or at least your pondering cap. The, the thing that I wanted to bring to this next installment was the floating aisles because all of these other different scenes pervade in my mind there was the city there was the countryside there was open meadows and fields there was the ocean and then I thought about it and I was like wait a minute there's something missing I was like oh right, a floating island <laughs> now as obscure and weirdly enough, and to someone who's not a nerd, you would obviously be like, well, why does that even make sense? So I'll explain. When I mentioned something from my childhood, it's not so much based off of things that were in my field of vision, such as obviously the city and obviously uh, family members and houses and things like this. My field of vision was far scope and far scaped, excuse me, into everything that I could get my hands on, and everything I could witness. So, when it came to television, when it came to reading, when it came to books, when it came to anything, I was all ears, all eyes, and the floating aisles came from this old series, or if you've ever played Sonic, Now, Sonic is a series on Sega Genesis, and I was first introduced to that probably when I was six years old, probably five, I want to say six years old, six years old, basically, Uh, around the early or mid-90s, and I was wildly enamored with this character, and the fact that I could do things, I could fly, I could go here, I could go there, it was insane, and the concept of even moving fast, now that I think about it in retrospect, is insane. But anyway, I I like the characters, and for me, that was the the beginning. And this was before I was even 10 years old, and I remember me going to a comic book store, and I would go in, and I would just walk past everyone walk past all of the big, exciting comic books, walk past everything that was popping at the time, and go straight to what I was interested in. And all the guys in the comic book store would look at me and they'd be like, dude, look at this kid. He's like ignoring everything. And yes, I would, <laughs> purposefully so, to go to the Sonic comics, which were made by Archie at the time. Now just imagining a little black kid walking into a comic book store full of people who are well versed in the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe and all other forms of independent comics their concern was that and me coming in there I remember them just wondering like and asking me like hey is this all that you want and, and I would tell them uh, very excitedly so yes I wanted the Sonic comics and so I started collecting them And I also collected another character from the series of Sonic, which was Knuckles. Now, Knuckles, I just liked for some odd strange reason. Maybe it was because he reminded me of a character that had dreads. And he was just a differentiation of Sonic. Sonic was happy. He was always talking smack. Knuckles was a bit more moody, a bit more quiet. bit more aloof and mysterious and once again I've said this in many of the podcast series I am generally a person who is introduced to something but will never ask questions because I know for a fact that I can ask over 10 million questions and maybe five of them would come into some form of an answer and so there's no point of me even asking in the first place (laughs) that generally was the sense when I was younger. And I wanted to know everything about the characters. I wanted to know everything. Uh, even if Sonic had a TV series, that TV series su- sufficed to know in, that was only 20 what? If 23 minutes of an entertaining storytelling prose, but it still did not explain the backstory, it did not explain the same details. Which I discovered in comic books. And so I would go through and I'm like, yo, okay, what else happened? What else happened? (laughs) And Knuckles was the series that explained all of these mysterious questions that I didn't even know that I had questions for. It just automatically popped up where he would pop up in a Sega Genesis game, which was I think was Sonic 3. And that was probably like 1997 or 1996. And I was like, yo, what? So then I started collecting all of these comics. And he had an interesting backstory. And this is for someone whose first comic collecting was not anything you would think of. It wasn't Batman. It wasn't Spider-Man. It was Sonic and Knuckles. And it's weirdly enough that nobody even values these at any price it'd probably be like 25 cents or even less but to someone like myself I think of those as priceless and I keep them and still have them to this day and for me I discovered this storytelling of a a different setting and just to be brief and not to go into too many details, it was just how the writers, and I don't even know the writer for Knuckles back in the day, uh, any Sonic fan would probably scoff and be upset because they don't even like the writer to begin with. But it was weird. The, the writing was different, but I'll, I'll give it that. As, as a kid though, like it took a life upon its own the the story separate from the story so if you think about it it was this character and his name was Knuckles and he was whirling around with the Chaotix, and they did certain missions and things and this is just for me jogging my memory now and they would go and do missions and they had certain agreements with Dr. Robotnik to retrieve certain things and that's how they got into it with Sonic and I believe it was a a tiff and they were on opposite ends of this said conflict but then he eventually got defeated by Sonic and so then he returned back and disbanded from the Chaotix and went back to his floating island. Now the island generally in the sense was something he wanted to get or get the Emerald Gems for. Um, Something about the Emerald Gems powering his city or excuse me floating island and from this he was just thinking of himself as the last echidna an echidna is the type of animal that he was and uh, this is crazy that i'm jogging my memory right now that he thinking of himself as the last echidna he discovers that the entire island was hidden Or that there was a hidden city on his own island that he had not even known about. And so his mother, father, everyone else was already there. And they were all waiting for him as a guardian of said floating island to wake up to the realization of what his responsibilities were. So this floating island took a mind of its own. And I modeled a lot of the floating island and hearing colors to kill sounds not reminiscent of it not taking away all of the pieces but with that in mind and and as far as how it looked and the sheer scope of it the architecture of it and there's a mixture because the one that I saw back in the 90s and early 2000s was a differentiation it was technology based and this floating island is but it's a bit more archaic in the structures and the characters and how they carry themselves. Um, they are walking around with animal heads and not in the sense of a helmet or anything like this literally garnering these mysterious magical things and to the people who are manfroids or who are humanoid it could come off as a bit abrasive or shocking And that's where the the writing comes in from myself in a very Alfred Hitchcock fashion of the way that the story progresses. And later on in book three and book four, I continue the story. I I think I generally braze over the story in book three. But in book four, it picks up again where these characters are seemingly knowing of everything. They've been watching all that has been happening on the surface, and they've been watching the raping, pillaging, the killings, all of these things with intent, but with a neutrality aspect to it. And so in looking at these other characters, there is no sense of judgment, and the judgment being an overlaying thing for the rest of this book and next book series of what it is that they want to give to these refugees. And ultimately a plot unfolds where them knowing of certain things, but then a a murder happens. And them being all knowing, how mysterious and ridiculous that is that it was a surprise to them and them obviously accusing the refugees of bringing such things to their place, or their place of solace and sanctuary. But ultimately there were other plots unfolding which I will allude to later on and I'll give you an update on as I write that part of the series after it's copywritten. But yes, it's, it, 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 the, the story and the floating islands has a, a dear place in my heart and that's the reason why I, I recorded this for you guys as to understand the next phase in the series. And these characters may seem Uh, one-sided but understand that they are all multifaceted and the way that I designed them was that in mind in itself and you can hear in the earlier podcast when I was describing um, them and actually giving some readings so thank you guys for listening this is V aka Vernon English thank you for hearing my convoluted crazy unequivocally obscure explanation of my story This is V, a.k.a. Vernon English. Peace. Oh, hit the subscribe button.